Good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. Did you have a good week? I had a really good week. Uh, we started our 10 days of prayer, as you've heard. We started our 10 days of prayer on Wednesday, and it has been a great delight. If you haven't been here, I'm going to invite you. We're going to be here tonight again at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow at 7, seven Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the whole next week. So we're going to invite you to come. This week was great um, to be together. And as we said, as Mal has already said, we came to, together last night to just praise God. And it was great to just sing a few hymns, those of you that were here. And I must say that the, the highlight for me was the singing, or let me say the singing was great, but the highlight was Linnell's playing. Man, that is just amazing. Even now, I think... I wish I had fingers like that. Uh, it, it just sounds so great. So thank you, Linnell. It's a, it's a blessing. Um, it's good to be here. We, we're in a series called Dear God, Praying Prayers of Blessing. So we're starting our year of 2023 with a lot of emphasis on prayer because that's where, the, that's where everything's at. That's where we, we find our comfort, our solace, our strength. And so we're spending just the beginning of our year. So we started the first um, preaching about Psalm 23 and God being our shepherd. Last week, Robbie preached for us on you know, letting God's will be done in our lives. Um, and today, we're going to look at another psalm. And, and uh, there's a theme that none of us planned, but I think the Holy Spirit is just weaving it together, this idea of, of praying prayers of, of the psalms and just meditating in the psalms. I've been in the psalms for a, quite a while, the last few uh, weeks, just thinking about them, contemplating about them, and actually uh, this week something um, happened and I sent a psalm to one of my friends and he said to me this morning, man, your psalm, the psalm that you sent me, Psalm 20, has been a psalm that has been really helpful for me this week. So the psalms are such beautiful things to get into. So I'd encourage you, if you have time, read more of the psalms and join us for the week of prayer. We come together to pray. We don't have a very long uh, a devotional. Uh, we just come together and spend together. And that was one of the highlights of my week as well, just being here, praying together, and hearing everybody praying. Seeing, you know, uh, uh, 30 to 40 people here and hearing them praying. And uh, on, I think it was on Thursday night, Amina was praying and she had written out a prayer. And it was so beautiful just to hear the prayer that she had written down. And so I'd encourage you to come and join us for that. And then just one announcement, I wrote it on my hand. My mom said I should never write it on my hand, but I did anyway. Sorry, mom. Um, just one announcement for next week. So we start our, uh, we have a great food ministry here, great hospitality here. We love to eat together. We like to fellowship together. Um, but we're we starting our normal cycle in February again, normal cycle of, of lunches and, and picnics and all of these things. But we just couldn't wait. So next week, we have your bring your own picnic here at church. We have something special. There are, I think, four families, four missionary families that have been in the mission field for quite an extended time. They're coming back to Australia, and so they're being welcomed back into Australia at our church next week. And so they'll be here at our church. Um, the SPD will be here as well. And so we want to you know, have lunch with them and spend some time with them. And so we would encourage all of you to join us next week for Bring Your Own Picnic right here at church, right after church. So bring your food, bring some dessert for me. We'll have a good time. Um, so let's start with uh, Dear God. Today we're going to pray a prayer um, that's found in Psalm 42. I'm going to read it and then we'll pray. Um, it starts off, and interestingly enough, this is to the choir master. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but prayers and singing go hand in hand. Last night as we were praying and singing together, they just kind of really beautifully just hold, and, hold hands. And so it says to the choir master, my skill of, uh, of, of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon on Mount Miser. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go in mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, as we come to the psalm, Psalm 42, a beautiful psalm written to you, a person bringing themselves, their heartache, their, their oppression to you, Lord. And as we like to pray prayers of blessing and positivity and, and come to you, Lord, feeling grateful, there are times and periods in our lives when we're struggling. And we can be so grateful for Scripture being so real and transparent and, and authentic and the highs and the lows of life. And now, Lord, as we come to the psalm and we want to see what, it, what hope it has for us, I pray, Lord, that the same spirit that inspired Scripture will be the same spirit that illuminates Scripture in our hearts and in our minds so that when we come to the psalm, Lord, we will connect with you, the God of hope, the God of love, and the God of life. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1927, there was a submarine, an S-4 submarine in Massachusetts that were doing just a, a, a drills. And um, as they were doing their drill, stealth drills, trying to maneuver around and see how good the equipment is, there was another boat, a destroyer from the Coast Guard, looking for smugglers, also on a stealth mission. And so both of these unfortunately collided with each other. And the collision between the destroyer and the submarine left about an 80 centimeter hole in the, in the uh, hull of the submarine. It didn't take long, about five minutes, and this submarine found itself at the bottom of, of the, the river there. 33 meters down, 1927, and to make matters worse, worse, a massive storm started to come in. They tried to get to the, to the crew, but it only took, it took about 24 hours before the first diver could get to them. Back in 1927, uh, there wasn't a lot that you could do during that time. They didn't have the technology that we had today, but yet they still tried. And so this, this diver was there 33 meters down in the oceans, looking, swimming around, trying to find out if anybody's still alive. And as he's swimming around, he's putting his head on the submarine, trying to hear if he can find anything, and he keeps on knocking. 
And as he swims around, nothing, nothing, nothing. And suddenly, very faintly, he could hear a knock. And so he knocks back. And there they started to communicate with each other in Morse code. Are you still alive? Are you okay? And they started to communicate back and forth. Six men were, were held up in a small little room. And they said, there's not a lot of time, there's not a lot of oxygen, we're struggling, please send help. And just before he left to tell them that there, 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 there's still people waiting, or to, as he was going to tell them that there are people in the submarine still alive, before he went, the last message that they sent at the bottom there in Morse code was, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Have you ever asked yourself that question, if there's any hope? Have you ever been in, in a situation where you're like, man, this just seems like one of those situations where I don't know where, how long I can take this. I don't know if I can still go on. Is there any hope? When I think of hope and hopelessness, one of the first stories that come to mind and, and characters that come to mind is a man named Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you've ever heard of him as a psychiatrist that lived um, during the... the um, uh, Second World War, and uh, he really studied the human psyche during one of the worst periods. Now, if you're thinking about survival, um, I, I, I forgot to mention this. When you're thinking about survival, they knew they, they, there's something called the, the rule of thirds. And so, 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 so they say when you're in a tough situation, make sure that you, can, you know that you can only survive for three minutes without oxygen, three hours without shelter in very harsh environments, three days without water, and three, three weeks without food. And that was kind of the, the set thing, that you needed this rule of thirds. Make sure you have, you, know, you have oxygen, make sure you have a shelter, make sure you have food, make sure you have water. But recently, as they studied humans more and more, and psychologists become more advanced, they've realized that there's even something more important, the, the three seconds without hope. If you don't have that, that sense of hope, well, you're not gonna look for, for oxygen, you're not gonna look for food, you're not gonna look for a place to hide because it feels that everything is just hopeless. And this, uh, this idea of is there any hope and searching for hope is something that Viktor Frankl was very in, involved in. He was a Jew himself, and so he was a, 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 a psychiatrist, a medical doctor that was not only looking at these individuals in concentration camps during World War II, but he was actually in the concentration camp as a Jew himself. And he, he went around trying to figure out who's going to survive this massive ordeal that we're going through. He was at all the big concentration camps and, and he wrote this. He says, forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to that situation. He continues, he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. So between the event that is happening and between you, there is a space, between your response to that space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Now, if you've read the story of Viktor Frankl in his book, The Man's Search for Meaning, you'll realize that he's been in a situation where the, the stimulus and response was a bit different than the stuff that we would go through. Now, these might be a bit of graphic uh, photos, but this is the concentration camp, just one of the concentration camps um, that, that he was in, Auschwitz. And while he was there, this is what people lived in, the amount of people that lived in these small spaces, and they were just starved. He tells a story about how they, the food rations that they would get is this bowl of soup, 
which was basically just a bowl of water, and if you were lucky, maybe a pea in it. And how they would have to go and work, like exceptionally hard during the day, walk around in, in the harsh snow and build stuff and come back and maybe have this bowl of soup and maybe have a slice of bread. That's not talking about the psychological terror being ripped away from their families. I mean, there's stories where you look at individuals and you're like, that cannot be a human being. And, and, and throughout, this, uh, throughout his journey in the concentration camps, he kept on asking the question, who is going to survive? Now, generally, if you had to ask somebody who's going to survive, who, who will make it, we generally would almost fall into the evolutionary paradigm where we're saying the fittest would survive. Like the biggest, strongest person going into the concentration camp, well, they're the people that would survive. But he tells story upon story where sometimes the biggest, strongest man would weep like a baby, but yet the smallest man, the one that you think was, gonna, was not gonna make it, they would persist and they would be strong. And he came up with this equation where he says, suffering minus hope leads to despair. And the thing about suffering is that suffering is universal. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you're from, everybody will suffer in this world. At some degree or another. So suffering minus hope is despair, but suffering plus hope equals grit. And that's why this, this rules of survival has put that three seconds of hope in as the first thing that you need to know is that the, if you have hope, you can survive. In the preface of the book, um, Man's Search for Meaning, Rabbi Harold Kushner writes this, he says, Speaking about these Jews, he says, they died less from a lack of food. Now, if you've seen that picture of those men, you know, emaciated, you'll be like, no, 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 they need food. They need a slice of bread. They need something to sustain them. He says, no, no, no. The main thing is that they did died less from a lack of food or medicine than from a lack of hope. A lack of something to live for. I don't know what 2023 is going to hold for you or for me. It might be your best year. It might be your worst. We don't know. And so it would be prudent for us, I think, to go to Scripture and say, Lord, whatever comes, how can we tether ourselves to you, the source of our hope? Because whether life goes up or whether life goes down, we want to hold on to something that will not fluctuate and will not move. And I think a strong answer can be found in Psalm 42. Psalm 42 has four elements that I want to walk through successively, how this man deals with suffering and still is hopeful within his suffering, within his, his struggle. The first thing that we need to realize in Psalm 42 is this man's suffering in, in Psalm 42 is both internal and external. He starts off the, start, the psalm and he says, as a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, this is a metaphor for this idea of a predator uh, chasing the prey, and the prey is thirsting because he's been pushed away from the water streams. In a theological realm, the author uh, is aware that in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is seen as the place of sustenance, the place of water. If you go back to Genesis, the four rivers in Genesis comes forth from Eden, and Jerusalem was seen as the place where the, where the waters would flow from. In eschatological terms, in the terms of the end times, when the new heavens and the new earth comes, the new Jerusalem will be the center where all the water comes from. 
So somehow, externally, this person, now we're not exactly sure what the condition is of this author. We're not even sure who the author is. Some have suggested it might be David, but we're not sure. Many times, David would put his name there. And so we're not exactly sure. There are some scholars that have suggested that this psalm is when David was running away from Absalom, running away from his son, leaving Jerusalem, and therefore he is cut off as the anointed of God, being cut off from Jerusalem, from the Ark of the Covenant, running away, being persecuted by his own blood. But some have suggested that this might have been somebody else. It is somebody that is intimately involved in the, the Jewish life of, of Jerusalem. But whoever it is, we know that this person is thirsting for God, seeking for God, wanting to be close to God. But yet there is an external thing that is keeping him away from being close to God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. So this person, whoever he or she is, we think it's a he, uh, is somebody that was very intimately involved in not only being participating in worship, but leading in worship. But now something is withholding them from coming back to the people of God and coming back close to God. And externally, this is a frustration. Externally, this is bringing a problem for this individual. And then verse three, he brings out this idea that there is oppression outwardly from people that look at him and say, where is your God? Verse 10 says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, it hurts me and to the point of death. And they say, where, where is your God? All day long taunting him, where is your God? Now remember, this is written thousands of years before Jesus. During that time, there was no atheism like we know atheism today. There was no people walking around and saying, there is no God. No, 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 when they say, where is your God? They say, you believe, but your God has forsaken you. Have you ever felt that your God that you pray to has forsaken you and have left you in the dark? And you're like, God, these people are saying to me, but you're this good Christian. You pray these things, you preach these sermons, you say all of these things, but now that you reach out to your God, where is he? Sometimes the loudest thing that can speak is the silence of God. And so externally, this man is suffering. But internally, it's even worse. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you cried so much that you have no more tears to cry? And that's the only thing that feels that uh, makes sense in your life because you don't want food, you don't want to do anything. You just want to cry and weep and cry and weep. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Not only is he crying day in and day, not, uh, day out, but it feels like he is drowning in his sorrows, drowning in his depression, drowning in the darkness. And he says, it feels like I am not gonna be naked. I am being pulled out by the ship and there's no way to shore. What do I do? I say to God, my rock, still he believes, but he says, why have you forgotten me? Not only are you silent, but it seems that you have forgotten me. Why are you cast down? And this is, the, this is the, the crux of the psalm. This is the chorus of the psalm. If you look at verse five and verse 11, this is the key where everything comes together, where he brings it together and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so low? Why am I so down? Rob Lacey puts it this way. He says, why so sullen soul? Why so moody me? Why so down, so depressed, so incapable of breaking free? Why so moody, me? Have you ever felt this way? That you keep praying, but it's a dead end. 
The darkness doesn't lift. Feeling frustrated, feeling alone, feeling rejected. You remember the good times, but that's all they are, just remembrance, memories of distant past. This man is struggling, but, but there's something interesting about this man. As this is happening, this man thirsts for God. Now, I want you to see what this man does. He thirsts for God primarily. He says, as the deer pants for the flowing stream, so, my, so pants my soul, my nefesh, my inner being, who I am. For you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There's external oppression, there's internal turmoil, turmoil. All of these things are happening, but the main thing, the main priority of this man is not to be lifted out of the situation, not to be removed from the oppressors, not to have the situation being resolved, but his main thing is to look for God. Max Carter writes, he says, <clears throat> we cross a line when we make such a request. When our request is not to relieve from, from all of these things, not to, to have the things of God, but to have God himself. He says, we cross a line when we make such a request, when our deepest desire is not the things of God or the favor from God, but God himself. And when we want God himself and not just the favor of God or the things of God, we cross a, cross a threshold. So this man struggling, perplexed, going through difficult times, and he says, Lord, I know that you are my hope, and I want you. And as he wants God, as he thirsts for God, as he desires for God, he starts to remember God. He remembers who God is and what God is. It says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He remembers the nights of praise like last night when we come together and sing songs. He remembers the worship times that he had at Kingsliff Church. He remembers the big camps. He remembers the camp, uh, camperees. He remembers the church camps. He remembers the time at, at Good Fellowship, at, at Small Group. He remembers those times because that's the stuff that built his faith. There is no such thing as a Christian that doesn't go to church. The Bible says that we should not neglect the coming together of the saints. Because there's something that happens while we are here. Not only do we hear the word, but we come together in fellowship and it builds our faith. John Piper writes this, he says, how, uh, oh, how much could be said here about the importance of corporate worship in our lives. Don't take these times, these times that we have together today, the times that we spent to, uh, together last night, the, the time that we will spend to, tonight together at, at, five, at seven o'clock when we pray together. Don't take these times lightly. What we do here is a real transaction with the living God. God means for these encounters with him in corporate worship to preserve your faith now in a way that you will remember them later. We have fallen into the trap in the modern world where we think that spirituality is a thing that I do by myself. It's a road that I walk alone. No, 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 we're all fellow programs and we all work together and we can help each other on the way, spur each other on, uh, help each other as we move closer to God to see who God is together. If corporate worship were not a real supernatural work of God, it would be pure sentimentalism for the psalmist to remember his experiences. Do you believe that? Do you experience that? That the times that we worship together is real supernatural work of God in your life and in my life? And that you are contributing to the supernatural that is happening in this place when we come together? That the way that God works is that he wants to work through you to reach people around you? 
that you don't merely come as a consumer, but as a contributor. And as you contribute, what you contribute here might buoy some people in their difficult and diffi- uh, dark times. He cont- continues, he says, he is not engaging in nostalgia. He is confirming his faith in the midst of his turmoil. I like that. He's confirming his faith. He's not looking for faith and saying, do I still have faith? No, 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 I do have faith. And I am confirming my faith in the difficulties. And in the discouragement by remembering how real God was in corporate worship. He's not saying God doesn't exist. I can't feel God. He's saying, I know who God is. I have experienced him. I have felt him. I have had this relationship with him. And so now when it seems that God has left me, I know the reality that God hasn't. And as he goes, as he thirsts for God and he remembers for God, somehow he he starts to preach about God. And this is the most powerful thing about the psalm is this man preaches to himself. He says, now I don't have, unfortunately I don't have that slide on the screen yet, but in verse five and verse 11 he says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. This man is listening to all the, the things happening in his mind. He's experiencing all the turmoil. He's experiencing all of this oppression. And he's listening to all the voices. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to listen to you. And he starts preaching to himself. Martin Lloyd says this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Some of you are getting it. Those voices in your head that tell you that you're not good enough. That voices in your head that that keep on accusing you of the sin of 20 years ago. That keep separation between you and God and say that you can't go to God. The struggles, the accusations, the, 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 the stuff that you say to yourself that you'll never say to another human being. Have you realized that those voices, where do they come from? He continues, he says, take those those thoughts that come to you the moment that you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Someone is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, has been crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self Listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this. He says, as though he were two men, the psalmist talks to himself. He's in this place of oppression. He's in this place of of spiritual drums. Why so moody me? Why so sullen soul? And he says, whoa, 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 I'm gonna start preaching to myself. He says, his faith reasons with his fears, right? His hope argues with his sorrows. These present troubles, are they long to last forever? Am I always gonna be in this situation? Is this gonna always be my reality for forever and forever and forever? These rejoicing of my foes, are they but empty talk? The absence of solemn feast, is that a perpetual exile? Am I always gonna be away from God? As Trapp says, David chides David out of the dumps and herein is the example of all desponding. Suffering will come this year. It might not be big sufferings, but it will come. And for some of us, we will have a very easy year where there will be suffering, but it will be small in comparison to our blessings. But for some of us, this year will be a difficult year with lots of suffering and lots of struggle. 
And herein is the example for all of us when we struggle. This is how we can have grit in those difficult times and how we can stay afloat in a sea of despondency and, and, and rejection and, and pain and heartache is by preaching to ourselves. And do we have not so much to preach about? Imagine this man writing this psalm a thousand plus years before Jesus came. We are not looking towards the Messiah to come. We are looking at the Messiah that had come. We know that he had not only come and died for our sins, but he has resurrected and stands now at the right hand of God. He is living and breathing and he is with us through the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul's words in Romans, where he comes together, he says, what then shall we say to these things? Paul is leading up to something here that is very, very profound. Paul comes in Romans and he says to us, basically, you're all bad. Like you suck, you're terrible, you're a sinner, right? You are the worst thing there. Like, you think that you're good, and that's terrible, because even your good is bad. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter. But praise be to Jesus that he has come to, resurrect, to, to die for you and resurrect, and come and give what he has done for you. And that through that faith in him, you can now be saved as well. And then he goes through this process where he speaks about the, the, the penalty of sin, the, presence, the power of sin, and the presence of sin, Right? Romans 6, he speaks about the penalty of sin that's been removed. Romans 7, he speaks about the power of sin in us that, that will be removed. And then in chapter 8, he starts speaking about the presence of sin that will be removed. And he gets into this diatribe, he gets into this conversation where he's saying, let me argue a little bit about your sorrows. Let me argue about your fears. Let me tell you about who this Jesus is. Let me tell you about the faith that you have. He says, what then shall we say to these things? All the things that perplex you and, 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 and stretch you out and, and that you're worried about. Let's talk about those, those things. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Two weeks ago, we spoke about the shepherd Psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24. The great shepherd, the, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. The shepherd that comes and gives himself. And on one says that, that Jesus was the greatest gift all the treasury of heaven was poured out in one gift, Jesus. There is no greater gift that Jesus, that God could have given for you. Why would he withhold anything else? What shall we say then against these things? That he has given his only son for you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You can almost think as Paul is writing this, he's thinking about the objections of these people. He's saying, yeah, yeah, they'll say this, but then somebody will come and they'll bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies don't listen to the accusations of the enemy. Don't listen to the devil as he slings his mud and brings his slanderous allegations. Don't listen to him because it's God who justifies. The whole court system is rigged in your favor. The advocate, Jesus, your friend. The judge, Jesus, your friend. Your, your witness, Jesus, your friend. Every situation is rigged for you to be saved and to be with Jesus. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Is it not God who is the one that was offended? Is it not God who has been sinned against? Is he not the one that should be conde that condemns? No, 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 no. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword separate us? 
Is there anything in this world that can come or has come that can separate you from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Is there anything that can draw you away from His loving arms? A love that is stronger than death itself. That is why Paul says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sleep to be slaughtered. We go through these tribulations. We go through these difficult times. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, no angels, no rulers, no things present, no things to come, no power, no height, no depth, no anything else. In what he is writing, there, in, in the parameters that he's putting out there, is there anything outside of this where he's saying it's all covered by Jesus Christ? Nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Friends, we will suffer. Might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next week. It might not even be this year. But we're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through difficult times. And some of you are suffering right now. Some of you are going through difficult times now and you might feel alone and you might feel that it's dark and you might feel it's difficult. But let me tell you, Jesus is there for you. Every step of the way, He has never left you and He will never leave you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's with you every step of the way. And when we feel down, when we feel we, we can't go on, on, on anymore, we should pray this prayer in Psalm 42. Hope in God. Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. There is a space on how we respond. And in that space, there is power to choose our response. My choice to, to, to struggles and to situations where I feel out of control, my response is this. Dear God, give me Jesus. Jesus.